Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Welcome into the show today. I'm Jesse Allen. We have a great lineup for you here once again as we talk about various issues impacting rural America and agriculture here today. Coming up in segment two, we're going to get an update on where things stand moving forward with the National Pork Producers Council, Proposition 12, Question 3, and more. Michael Formica, Chief Legal Strategist for NPPC, will be joining us. In segment three, we're going to get a look at some of the new regulations in the commercial banking industry and how that could impact the agricultural banking industry. Jennifer Rose with West Monroe is an expert in that area. She's going to join us for some insight in segment three. We'll wrap up the show today, have a conversation with North Dakota Farmers Union President Mark Watney. Uh, He was recently out in D.C. for the uh, National Farmers Union fly-in, and we're going to get some updates uh, on that fly-in from him coming up here at the end of the show. Let's kick things off, though, and get a uh, broad look, a bit of perspective on what's going on in the market trade Joining us now, Britain, South Dakota's own Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, it's good to have you back on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing great. Love the the fall season, you know, football harvest right around the corner. The weather's nicer. So, yeah, great time of year. Definitely. I should ask, any early harvest activity happening in your neck of the woods right now, Dwayne? And not way up in northeast South Dakota, but but close. Um, a lot of silage cutting done, and the appraisals actually came back uh, a little bit better than anticipated, I'm going to have to say. So yields look like they're there. But we had rains uh, early on up in northeast South Dakota. North Dakota yields look good as well. Um, soybean harvest should be right around the corner. I think we'll be slowly start next week, maybe a little bit here or there, but it's really that first week of October is when it'll kick up around here, but things look good. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in and talk about these markets as we're entering into the harvest time frame. And, you know, we've, uh, since the WASDE report back on Tuesday, it's really felt like the grain markets have just kind of gone sideways. And I, I think about, you know, in the case of corn, I mean, these corns hanging, right around 480 again, which we feels like we've been there for the last couple of months <laughs> here, Dwayne. It, it really does. Um, you know, obviously a, a really bearish report for corn. Um, and by itself, I think corn prices have to go lower because USDA actually increases supply a little bit, but didn't decrease the demand. And, and I'm one of those demand bears that think the export demand just isn't there until prices go lower. But you took all that news and we're not making new lows. So, you know, maybe that's a little bullish in itself, right? If you get all the bearish news and you can't go lower. But I think what the corn market's doing is watching wheat really closely because wheat did have mm-hmm. a bit of a friendly report on the world stock. So I think the corn market is watching wheat to see if that market has bottomed, which that's kind of a day by day thing too. Yesterday, I thought, ah, this doesn't look very good and it's going lower. Now, this morning, wheat's all sitting up 11 cents and looking a little bit better, like maybe it was a bottom. So, it's it's fairly typical this time of year, Jesse, to see a choppy kind of kind of borderline boring trade as we go into mm-hmm. harvest. But we got to remember going into harvest means you'll probably have some farmers selling up above the market on rallies too. 
Well, I'm thinking about that farmer selling. I'm hearing a lot of talk of selling soybeans off the combine with the tight balance sheet there and, and storing corn to see if corn can maybe get a bit of a rally on the back of the wheat market, as you were alluding to. And mm -hmm. obviously, you're a farmer as well, so you can always provide that kind of that farmer perspective too, along with the, the broker trader perspective. Is that kind of the same thing you're hearing? Is that the mindset of a lot of folks here heading into harvest? It really is. And it. I'm not going to say that that's the correct mindset we should have, though. Like you said, everyone's thinking about selling the soybeans because we're we're OK with that price. If you've done no marketing to this point, um, the soybean price is nice. It's profitable uh, if you've got the yield. So and of course, it doesn't take selling many soybeans at thirteen dollars to get the cash you need to operate either. And the corn, everyone's disappointed and they want to see the corn rally back. We feel like that's a missed opportunity if you didn't sell before. So that's the one we're going to store. But like I said, when you look at the two, the corn market to me doesn't have a lot of upside potential. You're going to need something to happen uh, in South America or China has to step in and really buy this corn uh, a lot more aggressively than they have. Now, this week they were finally in there and the number one buyer for U.S. corn, but not at a good number, though. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but you're right. That's what I'm hearing, too. Soybeans are going to get sold off the combine, which you'll see that selling pressure. And maybe that's kind of what we see today, Jesse, with uh, soybeans down seven. It's just the guys who are starting are probably selling it, and that'll keep pressure on the market. So in my mind, that would make me think that, especially with this corn market, not to get complacent with your marketing plan heading into harvest and maybe an opportunity to uh, lock in some floors just in case, Dwayne? I, I, I'm afraid it's still worth selling here. Um, nobody wants to hear that at the lows, and maybe that's silly of me to say at the lows, but I don't see the upside potential. So the nice thing is when you get closer to harvest, maybe some put options are a little bit cheaper, and then you still have that upside potential. But yeah, no, mm -hmm. corn's still got downside potential. It's going to take wheat or soybeans rallying to really get the corn market to rally in my mind. Over in the uh, cattle trade here real quick as well, uh, I know we had a strong day Thursday and we're kind of quiet on uh, Friday's okay. trade in cattle, still waiting for a lot of that cash activity. But overall, this cattle market still just continuing to churn up here at, at the recent highs to uh, Trade action is just on fire, Jesse. And I, I got to say trade action because the fundamentals have actually, like you said, dipped a little bit. Box beef have been down the last couple of weeks. Cash is... Maybe been a little bit softer, not on fire, that's for sure. But boy, the trade action just screams to me that there's something going on here. And yeah, new legs higher uh, yesterday's trade, the way it slowly started off and then just build on itself. Um, it's a fun market, uh, fun to be a bull anyway, <laughs> in this market. Um, <laughs> but I am getting more cow calf guys calling and saying, you know, gosh, maybe November feeders at 265. Should I buy a put option? And, and the quick answer is yes. And Buying a put option doesn't mean you're a bear. It just means you're just a little bit cautious. And if we were a bear, we'd sell the board. So we are doing a little bit of that, protecting some of these you know, very high-priced calves that are out there. But this market looks strong, Jesse, and it looks like it'll stay that way in 2024. But I would caution everyone, our exports are going to start to really dim diminish now in the livestock industry, uh, the cattle for sure, because Brazil's still got a, a huge herd and Australia's got a her huge herd out there. Plus, our U.S. dollar is starting to hurt us at this mm -hmm. 105 level. Yeah, man. we got about uh, less than a minute here, Dwayne, but you mentioned the dollar there, some of the outside markets. I know crude getting over $91 a barrel overnight. Anything concerning you there in the outside markets? Well, the dollar is the one that concerns me. Um, you know, if I'm worried about corn exports, uh, the U.S. dollar above 105 isn't going to help, of course. Mississippi yeah. River levels concern me, too. But yeah, on the positive side, this crude oil 
man, has that been really rallying? And if you can get a rally in crude oil, a lot of times you can get a rally in the corn market as well. So maybe that's holding the corn market up there and preventing it to make new contract lows. So, you know, I can be a bear all I want, but if we can't make new lows, it uh, starts to look like a bottom eventually. Dwayne, if folks want to reach out, get some market advice with you, I know they can reach you by phone or online very easily. How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, our main office number here is 605-448-2365, and they can check us out online at boltmarketingllc.com. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing, thanks for joining me on AOA today. We'll get you back on the show soon. We appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Michael Formica from the National Pork Producers Council about Prop 12, Question 3, and more. That's all the way next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. On the latest episode of the Monthly Grind, we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with Sarah McKay and John Del Motti from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Essentially, when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the, the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for coal. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 
informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally, that's Cenex. Jesse Allen back with you here and uh, really been doing my best to connect with all the various uh, organizations, commodity groups and more here over the last uh, month or so since taking over AOA. And right now we want to connect with the National Pork Producers Council. Joining us, Chief Legal Strategist Michael Formica is with us here today. Michael, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me here on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Let's dive in and talk about a few things. And first off, I know uh, NPPC, uh, you guys had your fly-in in D.C. here this past week. Can you give us uh, just a, a quick recap how things went? Sure, yeah. We had a great week here in, in D.C. Started with board meetings. We had fly-ins. Um, we do them twice a year, um, bring a couple hundred producers into town, uh, cover the hill, meet with all of the uh, all of their offices. We uh, we concluded with the um, much uh, much loved Congressional Bacon Fest, uh, which we had at the Library of Congress this year in a magnificent room um, filled with uh, you know filled with administration officials, filled with uh, you know friends and some foes up on up on Capitol Hill. Even if people come down on the wrong side on some votes, uh, we still welcome them in. We feed them, and uh, you never know when they're going to come down on the right side for us on on another vote and you build great allies that way. Well, it sounds like a, a awesome time on the Hill there this past week and a lot of great conversations were had. And Michael, I'm sure uh, some of those conversations maybe surrounded uh, proposition 12. And I, I want to start there and, and talk about this a little bit. Obviously we had the Supreme court decision earlier this year, and uh, there's been a lot of talk since then about where we go from here with prop 12. So I just want to start and, and ask, and if you can give us a kind of a, a background here, I mean, what are, if any, remaining legal avenues to pursue with Proposition 12? Where does the pork industry go from here currently? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, we you know, we made it to the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, uh, they came down in one of the more disjointed opinions. I, I, I know a number of law schools is a uh, – is a, teach this case now already it, it's a, the opinions are all over uh, the place we had uh, four very strong votes for us um, three two votes that we knew we were never going to get um, went against us uh, as, as we expected and then you had uh, a couple of other you know a couple of other uh, opinions uh, come down uh, that were partly for us partly against us but uh, collectively uh, all went all went against us uh, when, when it finally counted in upholding Prop 12. You know, the, uh, that was our case. Um, the Congress now, uh, so we, we've been engaged with the states, um, both with California and with Massachusetts, uh, realizing what we had lost, trying to uh, ensure that there's some semblance of, uh, as much as we can, have a smooth transition. So uh, the consumers in those states can continue to uh, purchase pork to uh, to the extent possible uh, there are some producers who have made some investments to try and um, build compliant facilities and you know, we want to be able to support them 
um, while also, uh, you know, protecting you know, the, the rest of the industry, um, not just from the costs that, you know, they're going to have to incur from Prop 12, but more importantly, and this was always our goal from the beginning, um, it's not any one of these states that producers are afraid of. You give them a challenge and they're going to they're gonna stand up and figure out a way to meet it. Uh, it's the ever-shifting goalposts. And so question three passed, Proposition 12 comes out and it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Now we've got, you know, initiatives uh, have been offered up in Oklahoma where I think they want to go up to like 36 square feet. We've got a different bill uh, that has been introduced in New York. Um, New Jersey, uh, New Jersey just passed a law. Um, doesn't apply to pigs raised outside of New Jersey, but it is a, another law. And so what, you know, what, ha- what happens if New York or Oklahoma passes? What happens if, you know, Illinois decides to pass something? What happens if, you know, Oregon or Washington or Colorado come out? Mm-hmm. You know, Colorado, you've got a, a governor there uh, who's been actively, uh, you know, he, he's actively advocating against the industry as we're, as we're pushing for relief on Capitol Hill. Um, you know, his, uh, his, his partner is a former, uh, you know, paid employee of sure. Mercy for Animals. Um, you know, these are a bunch of challenges and we, we, we just want consistency and, and, uh, clarity of what, you know, what the standards are that producers are going to be expected to meet across the country. Well, and obviously, Michael, to your point there, working with producers, working with the states to make sure everyone is compliant uh, to what we have in front of us right now. But you you bring up a great point here, and I want to ask you about the EATS Act, the Ending Agricultural Trade Suppression Act. Uh, as we see all the various states looking to form their own rules here, so to speak, there's been a lot of talk about the EATS Act being maybe a quote-unquote legislative fix to things like Proposition 12, etc. This is seems like this is a bit of a divisive issue. There's a lot of folks for it, a lot of for, folks against it. Can you comment on the EATS Act and maybe would that be something that could be a legislative fix to bring some certainty across the country yeah and so the you know one of the one of the first things that happened in congress was the uh, the each act was introduced uh and it quickly gathered a lot of support um from you know from ag state uh legislators who understood what was going on um it you know it's a you know, it, it's a it's a bill that you know it's it's moving forward it has a uh, it has the the uh, you know support at this point of the chairman of the House Ag Committee, who is uh, indicated that this is a problem uh, that he indeed wants to address, and you know is going to is going to put some provision in the farm bill um, to to protect agriculture from this in the future, and specifically to protect pork producers. Um, again, eat the East Bill is the bill that is out there. Uh, whether that is what ultimately gets passed by Congress. Uh, we're a long way from that. Um, we certainly have seen um, our well-funded opposition rise up. Um, you know, nothing is, uh, you know, Congress uh, in passing legislation is always, uh, you know, it's always a process of, of negotiation and you've got to build that coalition of members to get, you know, both in the in the House, which is Republican controlled, and then in the Senate, which is controlled by Democrats, and make sure both sides are you know 
are accepting of, of what's going forward. And so we're, you know, we're continuing uh, to have those conversations and they, you know, they seem to be very good, positive conversation. You, you mentioned there was, you know, there's been some opposition to the ETH Act, but none of the opposition to the ETH Act is very surprising. Um, you know, there, there was a, a, a letter drafted by a whole, a whole bunch of, Democrats, they were the same folks who signed earlier letters uh, supporting HSUS, um, opposing you know uh, that same group of of, uh, of, of not senators of uh, congressional uh, representatives came out and signed a letter to the Biden administration when we were trying to get up to the Supreme Court, um, asking the Biden administration not to get involved in the case. Well, the Biden administration came down got involved in the case and came down on our side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of Democrats we are uh, continuing to have conversations with, uh, as well as Republicans we're continuing to have conversations with. And, um, we don't have a farm bill yet. Uh, I think they've gotten until two more weeks, September 30th, to pass, to pass one to get us a continuing resolution. Uh, so we're watching how that plays out. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I, I feel fairly confident that you know as this process moves forward um you know they're going to find a way to uh, to provide some relief and to protect your know, pork producers and you know and all of agriculture because the challenge of prop 12 really isn't limited to the pork industry uh, and that's why you see in the farm bureau is, is fully and actively engaged in this the the idea of changing standards um and preconditions on sale of Agro pro- agricultural products in every different state. It, it doesn't matter if it's pork or beef or or veal or or eggs or you know. Think about what they would do with pesticides. Um, you know what they could do with fungicides. Mm-hmm. Um, you know land use patterns. Um, they can impose labor conditions. Uh, it, it's just it's a challenge to agriculture, a challenge to the entire uh, U.S. economy. Well, Michael, we're up against the clock. We do appreciate the time and the insight here today, and uh, we look forward to having a conversation again in the future. Michael Formica with the National Pork Producers Council. Thanks for being on AOA with me today, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. All right, up next here on AOA, we're going to take a look at some of the new regulations in the commercial banking industry. How could it impact the agricultural credit side? Jennifer Rose with West Monroe joins us next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Back with more right after this. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. 
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grain and oilseed prices continue to drift as the fall harvest slowly gains momentum. Wheat is firm this morning. Beans are down hard. Corn is caught somewhere in the middle. The whole livestock sector also has a weaker tone to start the day off today. Now, forecast models are finally raising in hopes that we will see a significant shift in moisture possibilities across the central and western Midwest in another week or so, but that will largely be too late for this year's crop development, and it will instead hamper harvest efforts instead of helping. Yet the rain is needed to restore water levels on the Mississippi River to allow movement of this year's crops to the export market, even though the export demand is still remaining quite disappointing. The wheat complex is seeing a bit of support from export sales, which rose week to week. While corn and soybeans have kicked off a new marketing year, wheat sales to overseas buyers were reported at 437,900 metric tons. That's up 18% from the previous week and 20% from the prior four-week average. Mexico was the biggest buyer at 112,800 metric tons. That's followed by Thailand and then Japan. Vietnam also bought 44,900 tons and South Korea purchased just over 40,000 tons. Exports of wheat for the week rose 30%. Corn sales in the first week of the 23-24 marketing year totaled 753,300 metric tons. China did take 173,900 tons of that from U.S. supplies. Colombia was in for 147,400 tons, and Mexico bought 129,100 tons. The VIX has slipped below 13 to pre-pandemic levels overnight. That's after the release of this week's inflation data. The dollar index is also pulling back modestly from yesterday's fresh six-month highs, and crude oil did push above $91 per barrel in early trade to set new 10-month highs on rising supply concerns. However, they have pulled back just slightly and are trading around $90 a barrel currently. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Want to turn our attention now to some of the regulatory changes and the increased regulations happening in not only the commercial banking industry, but how some of those are impacting the farm credit industry as well. Joining us now, partner and leader of the Midwest Financial Services team and National Ag Lending and Farm Credit Practice at West Monroe, Jennifer Roths is with us here today. Jennifer, it's great to have you on the show. I hope you're doing well. I'm good. Good. Thanks, Jesse, for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. 
Well, let's start the conversation just talking about some of the uh, some of the changes that are ongoing on the regulatory side and a lot of changes happening in the commercial banking industry. We're hearing a lot about this in the news right now. Can you get us up to speed just some of the, the big changes that are ongoing right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you kind of hit on a little bit, you know, uh, before we jump into some of the regulatory changes that are coming down the, the pipeline, we are seeing, as everyone knows, interest rates are, are creeping up and have been up, um, which is impacting the cost of funds and all farmers operations, um, as well as it, it impacts how the banks look at lending credit and their capacity to do so. Um, so when you think about some of these regulations that are coming down, they will at some point require resources, time, and effort, which is an additional cost to these institutions, whether it's a commercial bank or an association within the farm credit space. Well, and that's a, a big topic, I think, to take a look at here is just because, as you alluded to as well, that I mentioned, a lot of farmers are concerned. I know conversations I have with folks across rural America, you know, we're getting towards the end of the year, they're taking a look at their operating loans, or they're looking at you know, different pieces of equipment for their operation and more. And, and they're seeing some of these high interest rates. And there's a lot of nervousness out there right now, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pendulum does swing with interest rates. It does swing with with regulation. I think um, their farm credit system, for instance, has been around since 1916. So they're, they're here to, uh, no pun intended, but weather the storm. Um, they work with farmers, ranchers, producers throughout uh, the years with high rates, with, you know, things that happen within the economy, things that happen within the policy changes, et cetera. Um, so I think there is some comfort in knowing that there are experts on the other side to work with those farmers to be able to, you know, weather through some of these higher interest rates and these additional costs that are coming down to bear. Um, part of the, the the key regulations that we see that are hitting some of the commercial banks and then farm credit right now is there's one called 1071. And, and these are amendments. And this is amendments to uh, which was originally part of kind of Reg B and equal opportunity. But this regulation is is really looking at collecting and reporting on additional applicants for small businesses. Um, and the CFPB, which is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, is the one that is the regulator that is looking to implement these changes um, to collect data for small businesses, I said, that are they're defining that as revenues of $5 million and, and below, which is increased over the years. Historically, used to be $1 million revenue. So that's a larger bucket of small businesses that would technically fit in that category. And they're looking to collect data more around applicants on women and minority-owned businesses. Um, but with that said, some of this 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 rule also requires a segregation or bifurcation of that data because within Reg B, you had to protect consumers and small businesses from discriminatory lending based on age, gender, nationality, et cetera. So um, at, at first glance, it doesn't seem that it would be that much more difficult or that much change. But when you start to break down what they're asking and then the reporting requirements, it does actually take a lot more time, resources, effort, and technology to make sure this is rolled out and then managed accordingly to to the regulation. And it seems like sometimes when we see different changes to regulations, you, you know, a great point you kind of alluded to there, you got to look at the details and really dive in deep to see, and, and as you mentioned, using more of those resources and time um, to, to make sure you, you do things correctly, I think is the biggest thing. Correct. And, you know, the, the interesting thing regarding the 1071, so farm credit is regulated by the FCA, the Farm Credit Administration. And 
the CFPB um, is specifically looking at consumer and small business. So mm-hmm. sometimes there's a little bit of gray area on, on where there's jurisdiction and who has kind of regulatory oversight. Um, I think the farm credit system actually has published something that they are looking to halt the implementation of this 1071 within farm credit. Not that they're opposed to collecting that information. They would just prefer that this information is collected through the regulator, through the FCA, um, probably for, for a handful of reasons, um, which kind of brings me to another regulatory yeah. aspect that I wanted to add on around farm credit, which um, they've always had a, a regulation around young beginning and small farmers. So ensuring that those farm farmers that are young, right, beginning, um, which typically means they don't have a ton of assets, they don't have the same credit history, helping them make sure that they get access to credit um, because it is important, right, to, to continue that funnel of farmers, ranchers, and producers within the, the United States. Um, there is changes to YBS where they're asking for that to be a little bit more strategic. Um, each association needs to have a better plan in place um, on how they will meet those strategic objectives, they will monitor them, et cetera. So if you step back and think about what the intent of that 1071 is and what the intent of YBS is, it's ultimately to make sure that you're getting credit to those who might not have the history um, from a credit standpoint or the assets to be able to qualify for credit as easily as any business and or farmer or rancher that's been in business for a while. Um, so there is mm-hmm. a lot of correlation there. Um, and it's really about how how does this regulation get to the right intent, but be more effective in the way that farm credits can roll it out. So taking a program they already in place and rolling that in as opposed to creating a brand new program, creating a brand new reporting structure to then report to a new or a different regulator. Um, so I can see where the farm credit is coming there because ultimately they're they're cooperative and mm-hmm. they're customers are their owners. So all costs get bared to those, those, those owners at the end of the day. Um, so finding more effective and efficient ways to meet these regulations with current systems or procedures they, they have in place, I think is really key going forward for, for these associations in the system in general. Jennifer, want to follow up there about young and beginning farmers, uh, you know, and having more access to credit to begin their operation. Are are you seeing that this is uh, making things easier for them? Are there still some barriers to entry potentially for some of those young beginning farmers who maybe don't have something passed down from their you know, parents or grandparents, et cetera? Is, is it making things easier for them? Ideally, yes. And I, I do believe that the amendment to having a more strategic plan in place will help them. I think with young beginning and small farmers or anyone who's new on an adventure, information and knowledge and access to data to help qualify for credit. There's programs out there. Um, there's guarantees out there. And a lot of folks don't know what they don't know. Um, so putting more focus and strategy, dedicated resources to increase the knowledge and what's out there for these individuals to have better guidance on their plan, how to be able to secure credit um, through different means or through grants to get started is essential. And I think it's really positive. And they're really looking at how do you help amongst the farm credit system and they collaborate together? How do you get folks from different territories to talk together about how they're approaching some of these hurdles for either a young beginning or small farmer? And then ultimately leveraging technology. Um, it, most younger folks, they, they understand technology. They go to the web. They look for information. They're more readily available. How do you start to capitalize on that a bit more than more the historical word of mouth that I would think traditionally was what occurred to get information out? 
Jennifer, as well, uh, we've seen the stories about some of the bank failures on the commercial banking side here this year, and I know that's Mm -hmm. got some folks a little worried there. But the overall health of the farm credit system, I feel, is much better than some of those small regional banks that had had issues, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're 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 doing very well. They're they're strong. They. are regulated again in a sense of where they can invest assets yep. and 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 financial instruments, et cetera. So yes, they're they're doing well. It, um, to them, it, it wasn't that big of a blimp on their radar. Um, it was somewhat of an opportunity to some extent with having some new prospects to go after, um, specifically out on the west coast where you've got you know some some wineries and dairies and things of that nature. Um, but you know, it's still something to to be, kind of be aware of. Um, no matter what, you know, it's always a shakeup. Um, but again, farm credit's got a little bit more regulatory mm-hmm. um, scrutiny on on how they invest and how they manage their their, their assets and liabilities. Yeah, and I just I just want to make that quick distinction there. I thought just for some folks in in farm country, you know, to know that you know the overall health of the farm credit system is is much better than some of those. Uh, issues we had with the banks. Uh, before we let you go, Jennifer, final thoughts, anything else you'd want to share just about this this overall picture that we're looking at right now? Yeah, I think you know, at, at the end of the day, the pendulum, as I said, is always going to swing with with interest rates at some point, you know, throughout the years, as well as uh, regulation. With, with regulation, I think it's important, especially within farm credit, be proactive to some extent, understand what the requirements are and, and use a system as, as a solidarity and collaboration on how to approach it. Typically, you know, regulators don't always give you the answer on how to go about that, implementing that, that regulation or that process. Um, so if they're proactive about it, look at the best way to go about the intent to really help their mission, which is providing steady, you know, reliable credit to farmers, ranchers, and producers. I don't think they can go wrong. And I think there's opportunity there. Um, and that's what I would leave with as, you know, at times it seems that these are you know daunting and negative, but there are always opportunities in this. And I think um, that's the way that they should look at it and how they start to, to collaborate, use technology and really try to bring um, more credit to those, those young beginning and small farmers out there. Well, we appreciate the time here today. Jennifer Rose with West Monroe. Thanks for joining us on AOA. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Jesse. And once again, Jennifer Rose there with West Monroe, the leader of their agricultural lending and Midwest financial services practice. Uh, a lot of great insights, something to think about. You got to get down the weeds a little bit. Some of the regulatory changes and much more that are happening in the banking industry and how it could impact the uh, farm credit, ag credit uh, industry as well. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to wrap up the show for the day today. Take a look at some news headlines. We'll get to that on the way after this. You're listening to AOA Agriculture of America, powered by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. 
We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We 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 are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Gary Tucker, Director of Environmental Health and Safety with CHS Transportation and Logistics, about Truck Driver Appreciation Week. Why are drivers so important to agriculture? First, consider that the agriculture industry is the largest single user of freight capacity in the United States, and over 80% of that is uh, done on a truck, which accounts for about 20% of the total movement. And really, that's just accounting for products as they go to market. It also, trucking brings the products, the inputs that farmers need to do their jobs, fertilizer, feed and fuel, so that farmers can grow their crops. Well, Gary, what technologies are helping to make transportation safer and more efficient? It's hard to imagine a major fleet operating today without telematics. Telematics provide a platform for real-time communication, routing support, uh, track drivers' available work hours, dispatch and monitor your loads, and plan vehicle maintenance or repairs. It's really an essential tool. On the safety side, maybe one of the leading things that's, that's coming to the fore right now is in-cab cameras with artificial intelligence technology. Let's say the driver throughout the course of the day has become fatigued, or maybe they've forgotten to put on their seatbelt, something like that. The camera can actually detect that and notify the driver, give them some feedback, and hopefully you know, help them to correct that issue before it becomes a problem. What job opportunities are available in trucking at cooperatives and agribusinesses? Our industry is hiring as we are hiring. Uh, the industry is definitely challenged by an aging workforce. You guys are taking advantage of the opportunity to go and retire, take their well-deserved retirements. And it's created a lot of need and a lot of opportunity for people that want to be drivers. But it's really not just drivers. We also need mechanics. Mechanics are critical to this industry. We need logistics specialists, warehouse workers, and even safety specialists to support all what's going on. Well, thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. 
At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe. Safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Right now, joining us on the program, want to have a conversation with North Dakota Farmers Union President Mark Watney. Mark, it's great to catch up with you again. How are you? Doing great and had an interesting trip out to D.C. Yeah, let's talk about that trip out there, taking part in the National Farmers Union legislative fly-in. Obviously, there is... No shortage of topics to be discussed uh, right now on Capitol Hill surrounding agriculture. And uh, just uh, talk a little bit about the fly-in itself. I know a lot of folks uh, getting out there, participating, and and making their voices heard, right? Exactly. We had about 28 from North Dakota, and there was a couple hundred across the country for national. We uh, hit all the offices. We were at uh, EPA, Department of Justice, trade offices, OMB. And, uh, of course, carrying a message about uh, first get this farm bill done, uh, you know, find a couple avenues to enhance reference prices and to enhance the art payments, uh, maybe a dual option, um, keep crop insurance whole, maybe enhance some of the buy-ups. And then uh, we looked at a competition title, right to farm, or excuse me, right to repair. And then we looked at uh, some of the competition issues we're facing. So a really busy trip. Really busy trip. Let's uh, talk about a few of those things individually. Farm bill first. I know a lot of folks are still optimistic we can try and get this done by the end of the calendar year at least. I mean, what's some of the latest you heard when you when you talk to folks there in D.C. this week? Well, obviously, there's great concern for the, the budget and getting that uh, either something through that can make the funding of the federal government, along with some of the farm programs, uh, that's really slowing the process. Uh, the positive side is we've got some information that there was a fair amount of work being done on dollars from the IRA for conservation, somewhere around $19 billion. And uh, they're talking about if they can divide that up a little bit and, and uh, use it in different parts of the farm program. So uh, the positive there is it appears like, uh, at least behind the scenes, there's a negotiation going on with the leadership. Um, that's my hope is that uh, they're having those dialogue and then they'll get it on the floor after they get through these budgets. And uh, maybe we'll have a good discussion before the end of the year and can have something moved after the first. Um, I'm not opposed to extension, but uh, extensions tend to get us exactly what we got now. And we don't really necessarily end up with uh, a good debate. So it'd be better if we could do it now, fix some stuff and get it on the table and hopefully get it passed. Well, I know as well. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, you talked about some of the appropriations. Uh, there's some concern that we could shut the government down potentially here on October 1. Uh, are you concerned about that? Did you hear some of that chatter potentially uh, there on Capitol Hill? Yeah, there's a real problem in the House. Uh, um, they've just got so many promises of things that they were um, led to believe could be potential and and all of them are trying to come together and being tied into um, funding the government and it, it just isn't probably going to happen that way so somewhere along the line somebody's got to give something and that's uh, that's the unknown 
Uh, I would hope we wouldn't because it, it really does mess things up. And there's, there's people that miss opportunities. There's some people that in some respect may go without some pay. And that's just not the way we should operate. We need to, we need to move forward and get the job done. It's time to legislate now and quit the, quit the campaign, start legislating. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. You mentioned some of the competition issues. I think that's a good thing for us to highlight as well. Can you touch on some of the things you were talking with folks about on Capitol Hill? Yeah, we've actually been asking for a competition title that would focus in on some of the uh, laws on the Stockyards and Packers Act. And and uh, we've been very concerned. You know, you look at what happened to meat packing, and that, that situation still arrives where uh, we're starting to see the market not necessarily very open and free. And the cattle ranchers are kind of taking the brunt of that. Uh, but as a farmer, you can you can see this same situation happening in transportation. You can see it in, in chemicals and seed. You can see it in fertilizer. And uh, many times we're the uh, kind of the sacrificial lamb in a sense of who pays that different. For example, uh, there was uh, four boatloads of, uh, I should say, shiploads come in from Europe of wheat into southern Florida. And uh, we talked to the guys that imported it at Arden Mills, and they said, well, this may be the future because we can ship it across the ocean cheaper than we can ship it from Kansas to Florida. Uh, that's not a good scenario. I mean, if we're going to be in the world trade, we can have our transportation systems limiting our ability to compete. So we've got to look at some of this stuff and, and hopefully get the Department of Justice and, and some of the legislative people and maybe a competition title to keep these folks honest and make sure that we're being efficient. You mentioned right to repair, too, and I'd love to ask your thoughts on that. I know we've had a lot of MOUs signed here as of late, and uh, obviously that's something that we're continuing to pay attention to. What's the latest you've heard on, on right to repair as a whole? Yeah, well, the MOUs we signed were you know, pretty much nothing. I mean, I, I don't want to take away the effort, but it didn't really fix anything. And and uh, we did get a letter from National Farmers Union that said EPA is not the reason that they can't allow farmers to repair. They're not they're not saying that the emission side of this thing is because of an EPA regulation. So there's there's something that uh, it's a control issue. It's a competition thing where, you know, companies like John Deere and Case think that us farmers don't have some ability and they, they won't give us access to all the software. And if we don't have software and, and don't have uh, access to tools and stuff to fix, uh, they're not going to be able to service us, let alone, you know, the cost. I mean, there's just no way they can be ready to come out into planting during at in Iowa or wheat planting in North Dakota and have enough technicians to come out and fix. So uh, it's a real nightmare. And somewhere along the line, we're going to have to get a compromise. Well, Mark, before we let you go here today, uh, all great thoughts. And uh, as always, we appreciate the time. Anything final you want to mention uh, from your trip there to D.C. that folks just need to keep in mind right now? Well, I think country original labeling is another area, and uh, mm -hmm. we got some movement on it. We want to see them challenge the trade organization a little bit more. Um, we see labeling all over the world, and it's just odd we can't label our food in the U.S. So we've been working on that also. Well, we're going to keep our eyes on that, too, and uh, I look forward to having another conversation with you again real soon with that North Dakota Farmers Union President Mark Watney. Thanks for joining us here today, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Bye. All right. We are out of time here on AOA Today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform, and if you are hitting the fields here over the next couple of days for some early harvest activity, 
make sure you stay safe out there and uh, we hope that uh, the fall harvest is a successful one for you and we'll keep you informed with issues impacting rural america right here on aoa agriculture of america i'm jesse allen have a great rest of your day on the latest episode of the monthly grind we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with sarah mckay and john del Motti from ncga's market development action team essentially when we say saf or sustainable aviation fuel that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel but is made from from corn whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for saf or you can also do an ethanol to jet but that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the, the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for coal. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.